there's um there's a chap in Glasgow, not with a beard, but he's um he's obviously an old raver from like the nineties and he just hasn't stopped raving since the nineties. And yeah, exactly. And he's you can tell that he's been gurning a lot of his life. Oh. And um but he goes out into the middle of like the city centre and like with a boom box, like a nineties boom box, and just puts it on the floor and gets glow sticks out and everything and has a rave and everyone because he's been doing it for years, everyone just fucking loves it. They just go mad for it. Like I was down in um an area of the city called St Enoch's right the other day and he was there and he had some weird um toy cats that had <laughs> that were like battery powered that were cool. like raving cats with like sunglasses on and glow sticks and stuff he also had sunglasses on and glow sticks and like a mr motivator kind of like lycra on and um he was proper raving but i kid you not pretty much the whole square was joining in they were like fuck it It's back to the 90s. This is what I want in life. Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote and this is Consistently Eccentric, a British history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with This Story Takes Place in 1396. So we're going quite far back for us. I think that's the furthest back we've been. Together? Probably. Mm, Yeah. In England... The end of the Viking Age is generally considered to be 1066, and the defeat of Harold Hadrada at Stamford Bridge, an event that essentially ended any Scandinavian claim to the English throne. So this was the one a few weeks before the Battle of Hastings. Yeah, which actually wasn't in Hastings. The battle near Hastings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, this is the one that everyone remembers now of the guy going under the bridge with a barrel. To it's funny you say that on. about... Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's funny you say that about 1066 because every every uh, history like curriculum is like history starts now. Mm. So there were Romans, then there weren't, then history. Mm-hmm. Go. We'll cover the, we'll cover the Romans because they're fun and they were togas and it gives us an excuse to dress the kids up as little Romans. Mm-hmm. In 1066, we were civilized by the French, who we grew to hate. However. 1066 was not the end of the Viking interest in Britain as a whole. Mm-hmm. Because north of the border in Scotland, the Vikings had taken control of the northern islands of Shetland and the Orkneys shortly after the first attacks on Lindisfarne, which generally is considered to usher in the Viking Age. Yes, 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 because they raided Lindisfarne first, didn't they? And then they raided all the sort of northern isles, and they mm-hmm. found that there was very little resistance to them. Because there were only sort of like small dotted communities who weren't ready for Vikings, essentially. Yeah, come on in, like, have a cup of okay. tea, have a buck fast. Yeah, you you want you want to be my neighbour, okay? <laughs> if it means you're going to put the axe down, I'm one hundred percent behind this idea. I mean, I can imagine they were all quite handsome as well, weren't they? The Vikings coming over. Oh, you, are you saying that they were invited in? It's like, oh, you look better than old Greg down the road. Come mm, on. I mean, yeah, fine. Come on, come Sven. On. Come, on. <laughs> come on, Sven. We'll be friends. Well, the thing is, they, they managed to take over these islands so quick. And because the entire reason that the Vikings have been coming across is because there was a bit of a population boom and a lack of land. Okay. Immediately, it was Norwegian families who were coming over to the Orkneys and the Shetland Islands, ready to develop some new farming communities. Cool. And although they weren't initially welcomed... Because they were so close to the Scottish 
geographically. Uh-huh. Uh, it was kind of uh, pragmatic for the Scottish people on the mainland to grudgingly engage in trade and communication with these new guys because it turns out they were quite good farmers. They were growing quite good produce. And also, you know, if you were in with them, there was less of a chance that you were going to get Vikinged. <laughs> I like that. I've totally been Vikinged. Yeah. Oh, we're out. We're having a lovely evening and then Vikinged. Shit. Mm. I can't even find my kids. Though, to be fair, if the Scottish were a bit standoffish, the Vikings, similarly, uh, were happy for the contact to remain very limited. And they actively discouraged any of their kinfolk who were who were thinking, well, can, can we take some land here? Maybe on that nice big bit called Scotland. They sent a message back to the homeland about Scotland. Mm. Uh, and this is their brief description. The natives are dangerous, the language incomprehensible, and the weather is awful. I mean, you could use that description today. <laughs> well, yeah, they're like, it's great out here on the islands where we've got, you know, some distance from them, but don't even think about going to Inverness, okay? Save yourself <laughs> the, the hassle. You will be run out of town. In spite of these warnings, though, the new neighbours, they did grow closer over the years to the point where they began to intermingle and even intermarry. Mm, yeah, so she had her eye on Sven the whole time. Yeah, to be fair, I think it was probably a lot of Scottish women marrying a lot of Nordic men. Mm. I mean, I can see why. Definitely. I mean, they're beautiful, Mm. beautiful people. They are. The political structure of Scotland at the time was a patchwork of warring clans, a constant shifting landscape of allegiances and power brokering, which the Norwegian settlers, who, let's face it, were now pretty much naturalised, they were more than happy to engage with as a way of trying to expand their territory without having to fight. Eventually, they formed clans in their own right that still exist to this day, such as MacIver, McSween, Macaulay and MacAskill. No way, so that comes from the Vikings? They were all originally Nordic families, yeah, who who over time... That's amazing, no, I didn't know that at all. That's really interesting. And this move towards assimilation rather than direct conflict meant that the Viking presence in Scotland lasted exactly 200 years longer than it had in England. Okay, you don't get taught that. No, no, because, you know, British history is still... Is English history. English history. Yeah. And while the Viking threat in England had led to an eventual consolidation of power in the hands of the rulers of Wessex, and if you need to know more about that, listen to episode 39 way back when, The Great Heathen Horde, which gives a good idea of why that happened. There was no such catalyst in Scotland because it wasn't us against them. It was us against us, against us, against us, against them who were also <laughs> us, against them over there. It it was so sort of fractured and disrupted that just adding another player to the game didn't really do anything. Whereas no. England was like the seven kingdoms and then the five kingdoms. Scotland was the hundreds and hundreds of groups of people who couldn't stand each other. Mm. And we're always up for a scrap. That could be quite relatable to today as well. And it's it's actually true that the Scottish sort of Norwegian mixed character of the Northern Islands of Britain might have continued to this day, if not for the Norwegian king, Hakon, and his desire to have a better trading relationship with England. Okay. He wanted to show his fellow king, Henry III of England, that he would make a strong, reliable ally. And he did so 
by reasserting the Norwegian claims to the Hebrides and the Isle of Man, both islands that actually at the time felt a stronger cultural kinship to Scotland. Yeah, no, I can see that. Yeah. So he was saying, yeah, you know, I'm going I'm to show that I can keep a tight grip on my empire. Well, the, the, uh, okay, the Isle of Man obviously is sandwiched between like England and Ireland. Mm. But like when you say Isle of Man now, I just think of like Liverpool. I don't know why. I just do. They've they've got a bit of a, a an equivalent Scouse twang to their accent. Mm, yeah, yeah. But yeah, at at the time it was it it was kind of a Viking stronghold. It was a place oh, okay. they'd be able to overwinter. But <clears throat> it, they still felt culturally more Scottish. And the fact that this Norwegian bloke was suddenly sailing round the top of Scotland and going, actually, I need you to kind of agree that you're Norwegian. They, they weren't okay. particularly for it. And to be, I like the Isle of Man logo as well. Just putting that out there. Oh, is it the... Yeah, it's the f- the free legs or whatever mm-hmm. they are. All the better to give you an ass kicking. I think is <laughs> like a windmill of feet. Yeah. A boom, windmill boom, 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 boom. of pain. Yeah. To be fair to the Scottish king of the time, though Alexander the Third, he didn't immediately go in for a scrap, and he first tried to pay for the islands to be returned to Scottish rule in order to just, you know, we don't need a war. I'll give you some money, you'll fuck off, everyone's happy. It will happy. all be fine. Yeah, yeah, you can call it a win or a big diplomatic victory, and I can actually rule the people who want to be ruled by me. Seems like a win-win across the way. Yeah. This offer was rejected. Mm. Yeah. Because it's very hard to show you're a strong man if you don't actually, you know, get your sword out. You really need to be able to to yeah. prove it on a battlefield, and that's what mm-hmm. Harkin really wanted. So King Alexander sent emissaries to the most powerful clan chiefs, and he managed to rustle up an army to send up to the Hebrides to make the point that they should be ruled by the Scottish more forcefully. Okay. With claymores. With what? Claymores. What are they? Well, now nowadays they're mines, but don't worry, the Scottish at this time didn't have mines. They were big, double-handed swords. Okay. That, you know, you needed a, a big space to swing, but once they got swinging, the damage was, even though they were swords, it was more blunt force trauma kind of damage than it was, right. yeah. um, you know, slicey, slicey. Ouch. Mm. Harkin responded by gathering together a fleet of around 120 ships in order to launch a counter-invasion, an eventuality that Alexander was prepared for, and one that he decided to counter with aggressive diplomacy. Okay. Mm. He entered into long and complicated negotiations, slowly crafting a peace treaty in ever more microscopic detail to ensure that absolutely every eventuality, every coin, every blade of grass, every alliance and counter-alliance was covered. Okay, fair. Is it? Well, I don't know. If you're going to do something, do it properly. Mm, Or is it a massive con? Ah, okay, twist. It's a massive con! Alexander and the clan chiefs were simply playing for time until they could call on the most powerful ally that any British army throughout history has ever had. Please, it's going to be something really insignificant, isn't it? It's the most significant thing in Britain. Okay. That we all obsess over. That what? Uh, it, it, it forms the national psyche, essentially. I don't know. London? What? No. No, not London. The weather. Oh, of the course. weather. <laughs> of course, yes. Because on October... We do obsess, we do. Because it saves our asses so, so often. So much so. Oh, there's storm brewing. Yes, yes, there is. 
on October 1st, 1263, a massive storm blew up. Oh, there you go. On the western coast of Scotland. It mm-hmm. ran several of the Norwegian ships aground near the town of Largs in North Ayrshire. I was there the other day. You were in Largs? I was, yeah. Fantastic. So you know the beach well? I know the beach well, yeah. Okay, well, nearly 800 years ago, imagine mm-hmm. half a dozen Viking longships just tossed upon that sandy stretch with a bunch okay. of pissed Vikings desperately trying to, you know, collect the supplies from the, the ships that were buggered, mm-hmm. load them onto the ships that weren't before they uh, got back onto the ocean. Yeah, it's all in my brain. And while the Norwegians were busy salvaging what they could from the wrecked ships, a Scottish army came marching over the southern horizon at speed. No way. Yeah, because the negotiations were a ruse and the Scots were ready to leap at any moment. Hmm, they knew. Mm. They knew what was going down. The Norwegians had sensibly placed a small force on a nearby hill to act as lookouts. Unfortunately, this small group feared that the Scottish would cut them off from both the main force of Norwegians and the boats. So they abandoned the hill and began running back to the main army as fast as they could. Okay. And when the big army saw the scouting party running towards them screaming, at the exact same time that the first of the Scottish warriors were being spotted coming over the horizon screaming, they naturally assumed that they were in serious trouble. As he would, yes. And it led to a full-scale, very disorganised retreat towards the boats. <laughs> Guys, just run. Yeah. Just <laughs> friggin' run. It's full. I don't, I don't like Braveheart. I don't believe it's historically accurate. But if you imagine that charging scene where they're all covered in the blue paint. It's, that is such a terrible film. It's like that. But instead of having somewhere to retreat to, there's literally the ocean behind you. Get on the boat now! <laughs> Get on the broken boat. (laughs) (laughs) It'll probably float. Go, go, go. (laughs) Embarrassingly, quite a number of Norwegians were cut down before they realised that they had the numerical advantage. Okay. By quite a way. Okay. So they were outnumbered. And I can imagine they're taller as well. Yeah, the the Scots were heavily outnumbered, but because they just ran with enough confidence, the Norwegians had assumed that they had more people than they had, and it took them quite a bit of time to go, ah, wait a minute, there's six of them. Yeah, yeah. There's Guys, no we, could act- we could actually do this. Yeah. So they started to fight back, uh, and this led to a stalemate until it got dark, and they both agreed they call it a day in a very nice way, and the Norwegians got back on the boats and left the beach. I always wanted, obviously, because the, there would be a language barrier mm. there. How do you have these like diplomatic conversations when you, you you don't have an interpreter? Is it like when you go to Spain and you just point at something and you're just like, yeah, that I'll have that one? Well, that I, d- one. I don't know how, how you break off. I think there were certain conventions that, you know, once it started to get dark and once certain things were happening, that people would kind of disengage mm. and wait right. for further orders. Right, chaps. It's uh, it's it's dusk is here, and we just we just all need to go home. It's like a cricket match. Somebody comes out with a light meter. I mean, I don't know what that. And I've just never measures measures life. how much light there is, and if if the light's too low, they just wave it off. They're dressed Do all they? in white. That's what happens that... at cricket. Yeah, that someone will come out with a, a device for measuring the light. I imagine it's similar with battles. You just measure it off. And like different different flags or different like symbols yeah. for different meanings. You, you do you you lower your flags which is the equivalent of pulling up the stumps and everyone goes back to the respective pavilions for tea. 
mm. and gets ready for tomorrow. Yeah, but surely, like, if, if someone did that, you wouldn't... Like, if I had an army, I'd be like, yeah, 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 we're definitely going to go back to the, the thing. And then as the enemy were, like, retreating, I'd be like, right, now, go. <laughs> Get them. <laughs> yeah, but there are conventions in war, because if you do that then you could never retreat from a battle again without being attacked in the arse because everyone would be like, well, they're the guys who yeah. don't believe in this. So we're perfectly justified in doing it. Fine, yeah. Even though technically it was a stalemate, the Battle of Larg could be seen as a Scottish victory as it was the last armed conflict with Norway that ever occurred in the country. Oh, okay. So this was them seeing the Norwegians off for good. We're done with you. Although they didn't know it at the time. Because stung by the attack on his men, King Harkon, he was determined that he was going to launch a full-scale invasion. But okay. it was getting a bit windy and a bit dreech and mm. a bit wet and wild. So That's a very Scottish word. I know, I saved it specially for this. Mm. Uh, so he would wait until the following spring. Yeah. The problem with waiting till spring was that he would have to overwinter in Scotland. And not only in Scotland, in the Hebrides. And not only uh, in the Hebrides, in the Outer Hebrides. <laughs> The West Coast is brutal. Mm. And just at this point, I should say that King Harkon, he he had a nickname, you know. Okay. He was known as Harkon the Old. (laughs) And you know how old people do in cold, damp, windy conditions? Yeah. With many, many hours of darkness and slippy surfaces all over the place. Oh, no. Okay. Go on. And during the long, harsh winter, Harkon fell literally, and then fell ill. And he died on December 16th. <sighs> Three years later, in 1266, his successor, Magnus the Sixth. Okay, so we're exactly 200 years after yep. 1066, right? Cool. Well, Magnus signed the Treaty of Perth that gave the Hebrides back to the Scottish crown in return for a yearly fee. Okay. This fee was paid for a little bit before the Scottish simply decided not to. No, <laughs> we're not and doing that. At that point, the Norwegians were far too busy fighting the Danes and the Swedes uh, okay. to sail back across the ocean and argue the point. So Scotland basically... Yeah, cause it's completely the other side as well, isn't it? It's not like they've just got to go yeah, to the, the east. They've got to go right the way round the top. To argue the toss. Hmm. And they didn't bother. So if anything, if Harkon had just accepted the original offer of money, he probably would have made more for the Norwegian coffers than what they eventually made out of the Treaty of Perth. Okay. However, the main point of all of this story so far is that political power in Scotland had not been centralised and the clans, of which there were around 500 at the time, Mm. were engaged in a constant game of politicking to try and increase their influence with the king, constantly forming and breaking allegiances, attacking, counter-attacking and declaring blood feuds with gay abandon. Because okay. there was nothing a clan like more than to declare a blood feud. Yes, yes. That sounds epic, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, you can understand why the Romans... Or that that is a bit of the myth. A Ro- the Romans did come into Scotland. But, um, yeah, you can Basically under- conquered it, but then they gave it back because it was too well, they, much of a ball lake to hold. And they, well, they didn't... And as well, they, it didn't have the resources that they wanted either. They were like, yeah, there's nothing here. Mm-hmm. That, they do have fabulous drinking water though i will give them that Mm. out of all the four nations scottish water is the best fact well it's going to be a lot better than lancashire water when they start the fracking because ours is going to be full of gas 
Is that happening? Is that, is that going on? Oh, no, no. They're just um, they're reassessing, which basically means, yeah, we're going to do that now. I thought they'd stopped all of that. They had. Hmm. But now they're using the whole, oh, the 2% that we get from Russia we're not going to get, so we definitely need to frack the shit out of the North. Leveling up. Mm. Yeah, so haven't they like scrapped those of HS2 as well, like the link between Manchester and Leeds? <laughs> so long as you can all get to London, that's all you need. Now fuck that's off. All they, that's all they bloody care about, doesn't it? So yes, blood feuds. Mm, yeah. Now the word clan, it literally translates as children. Okay. Because the clans were made up generally, the core at least, of very close family bonds. Yeah. And this meant that quite a few of these blood feuds were declared over the centuries because you're not going to fight for anyone more than for your own kin. And all of these no, guys you're were right. kin. So it was, it was the equivalent of, you know, those Christmas sort of piss-ups that you see where a, an extended family has got into a barney at the local beef eaters. Yeah. And nothing is more vicious than when family goes at family. No, you're right. You're right. I've seen it. They get brutal. And these, these blood feuds... After a while, they, they just, for, for anything, for the weirdest reasons, a blood feud will be started. Hmm. Take, for example, Clan Cameron, okay. the name deriving from the term crooked nose, apparently. Oh, really? Yeah. Children with crooked nodes. Yeah, children nose. of the crooked nose. This clan controlled the area around Ben Nevis, and their okay. delightful war cry, Sons of the Hounds, come hither and get flesh. I like that. Hmm. I might do that next time I'm on a date. Mm, I mean, it's forceful, but it's not very friendly, is it? Mm. Over the course of their existence, Clan Cameron had managed to annoy Clan McIntosh, Clan McPherson, Clan Grant, Clan Davidson, and others, to the point where a collective of 12 individual clans came together to form a collective known as Clan Chatton, specifically so that they could all hate Clan Cameron together. That's so interesting how it... Like with all the clans and stuff, like how their diver, like their um, like loyalties change, and they'll they'll merge for like a greater cause, but then they'll hate people because they're like as a collective they hate this one clan, but oh. then they might hate each other for like other reasons. Yeah, yeah, it's whoever you hate the strongest at one given time. But yeah, they all came together in in mutual hatred of Clan yep. Cameron. That was that was their Fine. entire thing. It was like if if any one of us attacks Clan Cameron. They might win, but if we all come together to shit on Clan Cameron, we're, we're going to take them down. Look at them and their crooked noses. Yeah, goddamn. They're not like those beautiful Norwegians that have left. <laughs> God, I wish they were back. Oh, I miss them. Yeah. Why did they have to leave? <laughs> and all we got were the Hebrides. Jesus it's Christ. Stockholm Syndrome. So, yes, there's 12 on one battle. 12 clans versus Clan Cameron. It would end up lasting for over 300 years. What? Yep. That's how long they could hold a grudge. It was in around 1370 that Clan Cameron were lining up against the might of the combined Chatton forces near Perth for yet another battle. Mm -hmm. Sure that it was going to be an easy victory, the chiefs of the Chatton clans began jockeying for the most prestigious positions so that they could claim the greatest share of the inevitable glory. So it was one of those... Everybody wanted to be the striker because they knew it was going to be easy to score. Mm. And they wanted to be the one to get the hat trick. They wanted to take all the glory. McIntosh, as the de facto leader, took the vanguard in the centre of the line. However, everything else was up for debate. And a lively debate began between Clan Davidson, whose words, the motto, wisely, 
if sincerely, and Clan McPherson, whose motto was, Touch not a cat, but a glove. <laughs> what does that even mean? I looked into it. It's something to do with um, a, a cat having gloves was not having the claws out. Ah, uh, okay. Fine. So it, it, yeah. it translates to don't try and mess with a cat when the claws are out. So it's basically uh, the, okay. the motto today would be kitty's got claws. Yeah, right. Yeah, fine. which is nice. Mm-hmm. But they were having an argument about who would take the right flank because this is the second most prestigious position in a battle. Mm-hmm. So you got the vanguard in the middle and then the right flank. The argument escalated to the point that it was put to the other clans to decide, and possibly based on the quality of their respective mottos, they chose to favour Clan Davidson. Clan Macpherson decided that, rather than take a supporting role on the right flank as the reserve, they'd just sit the battle out. So they took off their armour, found a good vantage point, and started grilling some meat, quaffing some ale, and generally having a bit of a party. Good on them. It's, it's what the Scots do best. Yeah, well, they were as sure as everyone else that, you know, they were absolutely going to tank Clan Cameron again. So it's like, oh, well, we may as well just watch. If we're not if we're not going to get any glory, what's the point in risking our lives? Yeah. We'll just have a, bit of a, a bit of a party, a bit of fun. I think that's fair. The battle started, and the watching McPhersons were probably delighted to see that the Camerons decided to try a flanking manoeuvre, and they directed most of their missiles towards the right flank before sending all of their heavy horse charging full tilt towards the shell-shocked Davidsons. Oh, I bet they didn't want to be the right flank now, did they? <laughs> they they probably regretted their choices. Yeah, oh, shit. <laughs> because it was like the, the Camerons just ignored the rest of the battle. Like, we may not be able to beat you all, but we can... So was it, I guess in their, like, their idea, they were like, right, we're going to take out, like, we're going to take out one clan. Even if you're, like, a collective at the moment, we're going to take out you <laughs> first well, the, the, and then you. <laughs> the idea was, if, if, you can get, if you can get around the back, if you can mm-hmm. flank somebody, it makes a mess of all the battle lines that have been drawn because when you array your army for battle, you're expecting to be fighting... Straight line. Straight face in on, front yeah. of you. So as soon as that happens, you're putting your opponent at a disadvantage. They're going to have to reposition and you can take advantage of the chaos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you've got people behind you, to the side of you, mm. and in front of you. Got you. Unfortunately, it turned out, once this manoeuvre had started, that the McPhersons had not informed the Davidsons of their decision to leave early, which left the Davidsons screaming for non-existent reinforcements as they took heavy heavy casualties oh god sorry chaps we're just having a day off Mm. when the battle was finally over the leader of the decimated davidson saw the mcphersons laughing on the hill and he swore that he would have revenge starting an inter-chatton blood feud can you say that in a scottish accent please i cannot i have just the world's worst scottish accent insert scottish accent what saying revenge yeah i can't do it either and i live here (laughs) Don't you have don't you have friends who are Scottish? Can we just get them to do a soundboard for us? Do you know it's funny? I do obviously I do have friends that are Scottish, but most of my friends are not actually from Scotland up here. Oh. We're we're quite an eclectic mix. So we've got um we've got Danish, we've got Polish, we've got English, we've got people who are not from Glasgow but they're Scottish. We've got Liverpudlian. All you so... fucking immigrants going up there taking all their jobs. I know, and spend. I spend a lot of money in shops, so I'm practically keeping the economy going. The amount of coffees that I drink per day. 
So what you're in saying independent is coffee shops. the immigrant population are helping to, to prop up the economy of the country? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Good, good. Mm. The Davidsons decided to show the McPhersons who was boss with a little like murder. However, the McPhersons believed that they had technically done nothing wrong and they responded in kind. A little light, Mert. Uh, you know, just, just to send a message. Just a stabby stabby. Uh, this, you know, tit-for-tat murder, the occasional small battle, it went on for the next 26 years. <laughs> okay. And eventually the level of violence reached the point where there was a serious risk that the entire political stability of Scotland was being threatened. So is this is this on top of the 300 years, or is this included? No, no, no. Clan Chatton, the collective, are still fighting the Camerons at this point, but oh, okay. also within Clan Chatton, these two clans are having their own mini-blood feud. Okay, so there's infighting Yeah, it's, it's feuds within feuds. It's wheels within wheels here. Mm. Now, the new king of Scotland, Robert III, he was already having to deal with the aspirations of Fife and their ally Black Douglas by increasing the power of Red Douglas, the Earl of Angus. Mm. Okay. So he was having to he was having to set Douglas on Douglas just to try and keep things balanced. I like that name, Douglas. Mm. And he was doing all of this while both his brother and his son were conspiring against him to try and take his position. So he <laughs> so he had a lot on his plate. Yeah, he had the Earl of Fife and Black Douglas trying to overthrow him. So oh, he was, I would have had a breakdown. He was Couldn't raising up the Earl of Angus, who was known as Red Douglas, but. His brother and his son also were going for the power grab. So with all of this going on, all these plates in the air, he really needed to ensure that he would have the power of the entire clan Chatham to call on in case things got out of hand because they were quite a a, a large, powerful block. Mm. And he didn't want them to just disintegrate into infighting because then when he called for his banners, none of them had turned up because they'd have all suffered a little like murder. I love it how you keep saying light murder. It's like afternoon murder with, um, like, Priory or someone. Yeah, I imagine light murder is, you know, you cook them a meal first and then you just poison the dessert and they actually drift off quite happy. Yeah, it's not... It's, not, it's, not, Should, it's to send a message mentioned... rather than to hurt the individual. So I, so you've you've mentioned something about the, the Douglas clan and, and red and black. I've got a feeling something happened in Edinburgh Castle. Between the, the Douglases? Douglas. Yeah, it was... Oh, there's a plaque. It will come to me. When it does, please shout out. I shall. I shall raise my hand, (laughs) although you can't see me. Yeah, that's not going to work. Scream. Ah. That'll do. But what it meant was that King Robert III, he needed to end the blood feud that had gone on for a quarter of a century between the McPhersons and the Davidsons. And preferably, he needed to end it in, say, an afternoon. Yeah. You know, that'd that'd be perfect for him. King Robert sent word to the chiefs of both clans and proposed that they meet him in Perth on a sunny August day so that he could make a proposal. Okay. He led the two warring leaders to a lovely park on the bank of the River Tay called North Inch. Okay. And he, nice. offered, and he offered them a few beers as is customary when you're in a Scottish park because, you know, what else are you going to do? Yeah. He then suggested that it would be in everyone's best interest if they just settled the feud once and for all. The two chiefs started to complain that they couldn't just let the past 26 years and all the murders go, and they both continued to insist that their clan had been the one that was in the right all along, and were probably surprised when the king said, I can't agree more, and you shouldn't just have to drop it, and that he actually had a plan for how they could settle the feud in a suitably over-the-top and bloody manner. He suggested 
that they build an arena in North Inch Park, and that each clan choose 30 of their best fighters, who will be placed in the aforementioned arena, to fight it out until representatives from only one of the clans were left alive. Brian. Jesus. Naturally, this battle royale would be overseen by the king himself, who would build a special platform from from which he could view it. Mm. He would also build other platforms that would be stepped in their design so that he could um, allow other people to sit on those platforms for a small fee. Like a theatre? Yes, he's going to build a death theatre. He's going to build a coliseum, Mm -hmm. essentially. And once it was all over, the king would confirm which of the clans had been right all along and would confer honours upon them. Okay, fine. And even if the chiefs were not absolutely thrilled with the idea, they were a little bit drunk, and they were not about to try and back out of a fight in case the other one questioned their masculinity. So they agreed to the plan. The chiefs went back to their respective clans to explain the situation, and Robert got in touch with the royal carpenter in order to get the plans for the arena drawn up. I love it how they have like a royal carpenter and like a they royal. They have a royal everything. A, a royal butt scratcher. Me and M did a story. I think it was John D last week. John... I wondered where that link was going then because I was like royal butt scratcher and you were like me and M. Me and M have hired a royal butt scratcher. <laughs> Used to work for Queen Elizabeth uh, II, obviously, um, but mm. it turns out now that once you reach the the later age, your bum stops being itchy. You lose a bit of nerve sensation there, so you don't need it. You just don't feel anything. About 75, she just found that her her bum didn't itch anymore. Mm, Didn't need it. No. Cutbacks. Yeah, well, she's trying to, you know, it was the age of austerity Mm -hmm. uh, under under the Conservatives and Cameron, so she felt she had to do her bit by getting rid of her butt scratcher, which means that we now have a guy who comes round with a solid gold uh, butt scratcher that he will insert into our pants for a small fee. Butt scratcher! Mm. Back scratcher! I like it. Yeah. Yes. The date of the battle was set for the Monday before Michaelmas, which is late before September. Michaelmas. What? what is this? Um, Michaelmas, Michaelmas, I believe it's... Uh, well, Pre-Christmas. It's, I think it's a Christian ceremony celebrating either a St. Michael or the Angel Michael, because it, it, it's, it's written as Michael Mass, so I assume uh, okay. it is a Mass for Michael. But it's late September anyway. Good old Michael. And it became the hottest ticket in town, with all the nobles of Scotland wanting to get a seat to witness what promised to be quite a unique spectacle. The coaching inns of Perth were full, and mm. all of the blood feuds were temporarily put on hold so as that all could enjoy the sight of 60 Scotsmen beating each other to death. Again, I see that most weekends. Yeah, but is it in a specially built arena? Uh, if you can call... No. <laughs> the smoking no. area outside the... for Weatherspoons and Arena. Yes, yes, yes it is. It was announced that by royal decree, the winning clan would receive royal favours, while the defeated clan would be pardoned for all offences, in order that the feud would be settled once and for all, officially and with no takesy-backsies. Okay. The big day finally arrived, and almost immediately there was a problem. Oh no. Mm. As one of the chosen warriors who was entering the arena, a man from the clan McPherson, he probably had a bit too much liquid courage for breakfast. Okay. And he suddenly fell ill. For breakfast? Uh, I don't feel well, guys. And he was so he was so sicky that he was unable to compete. He said, I'm, I'm really sorry. You know I wanted to die for you, um, but turns out I've had too much buckfast 
and I'm just, I'm tanked, mate. I can't, I'm all over the place. I can't even hold my sword, let alone swing it. Mm. So I just did a bit of research on the Black Dinner and the Douglas clan in Edinburgh Castle, and um, it is basically saying that Clan Douglas, uh, there were two young boys that were invited to Edinburgh uh, for a feast, and then um, the people that were hosting it who was Sir Alexander Livingston, who was living at Edinburgh Castle and Stirling Castle, presented a uh, a chopped-off black bull's head at the dinner, and that was, like, a symbol that shit was going to go down, basically, and they murdered the two Douglas boys. Wow. And that's where the... You know the Red Wedding in... I was just going to say, it goes to show George R.R. Martin... Maybe a historian, but has never had an original thought. Mm, exactly. So, so this the Red Wedding in Game of Thrones was based on this event. Wow! That happened in real life. So there you go. So we've got this poor McPherson guy, who is probably chundering everywhere. He's sad. <laughs> yeah. He's. You've said that before, everywhere, and I I quite enjoy it. I think you should now say it all the time. It was a, I think it was like a, a YouTube video where it was basically mocking people who go on gap yards, and it always <laughs> ended with, and then I chundered everywhere. <laughs> anyway, the McPhersons were like, well, this this isn't good. So they petitioned the king to even up the numbers by ordering the Davidsons to drop one of their fighters, so it was 29 versus 29. Mm-hmm, fair. Yeah. The Davidsons responded by saying that it was not their fault that the McPhersons had picked badly and that they shouldn't be penalised just because a McPherson couldn't hold their booze. Oh, the fighting talk is on. Also, they added, it wasn't as if there weren't loads of other McPhersons who had come to watch the fight, so surely they could just sub someone else in. You know, yes. it's like you're not a clan of 30, you're a clan of hundreds. Are you telling me yeah. there's not one other able-bodied man? Who Maybe could... they were all on Buckfast as well. Yeah. Well, it turns out that no one else from the clan wanted to take the vacant spot. Though, to be fair, I mean, hmm, it yeah. does. It feels like the kind of event that you might want to train for. Yeah, yeah, you can't just be put on the spot. It's like when you see the movies and stuff, and they're just like, I don't know, someone really wants to play the football game, and they've not trained or anything, and then they get put in the spot. Like, no. No, you no. need a training I montage, need warning. at least. Yeah, exactly. Rocky didn't just go straight back into the fight. He, he trained. He ran up the stairs. He did, in Philadelphia, I assume. I don't know, it's been years since I saw Rocky. Mm. Although I saw Die Hard the other day, that that took me back. It's a good film. It is very good. Bruce Willis now cannot act because he has asphasia. I know, it's sad, isn't it? Mm. It is. But a little bit embarrassed that none of the clan would jump in. The McPhersons, they were desperate. So they just shouted out to the assembled crowd, is there anyone who would like to become an honorary McPherson for the day and fight. Is there anyone out there who wants a bit of a scrap? And eventually, a very muscular right arm was raised. Mm. And a bandy-legged man called Henry Wind emerged from the crowd. And I'm not, I'm not insulting him. For the few descriptions I could find, every single one referred to him as bandy-legged. <laughs> okay. Fine. Henry was a blacksmith by trade. And he specialised in making swords. Strong arms. Mm. He agreed to fight for the McPhersons, but not because he thought they were in the right. And not to earn honour or renown in battle. Henry Wind wanted to be paid. Okay, fine. And he wanted to be paid in gold. 
Mm-hmm. Fair. And he wanted to be paid in gold up front, thank you. Yeah, but surely if he dies, then they could just nick it back off him. Well, he wanted that money in his pocket, so they could take it off his corpse, if corpse he was to be. Mm. The drama of the delay had ratcheted up the tension, and pretty much as soon as he'd offered, the McPherson's like, whatever, yes, get in there. Time was running <laughs> have, out. Have what he wants. Yeah, give him the money. There's no other offers come in. So they put a sword in his hammer swing in hand, mm-hmm. a shield in his slightly smaller left hand, Okay. And explained who was on his team and shouldn't be killed. Yeah, because I, I, I was fitness this in, in like big battles and stuff before. Like, I mean, obviously, I guess you'd have your clan colours, would you? Yep. And um, but sometimes, like when a brawl breaks out, like who do you know is like on your side? Well, it's it's very difficult. This is one of the reasons that for the longest time the British fought in red coats. It was mm. you. You definitely know who's on your side. It, the, the whole thing about, you know, everyone using camouflage is quite a recent thing because there are other ways of, you know, there's a lot more accurate um, battle monitoring yeah. these days. But back in the day, it was literally, we all need to dress the same so we know who's on ours because it could happen yeah. very, very easily. Mm-hmm. That you just end up stabbing the shit out of someone and go, oh, Jesus, sorry, Roy. Cousin Frank. <laughs> I Don't worry, I know where your wife lives. I will tell her that you died with honour. <laughs> and admit the fact that it was t- by my hand. I won't tell her that. That'll just upset her. Especially when I'm giving the eulogy. Yeah. He died by my fair hand. But yeah, so now suddenly you've got 30 Davidsons, 29 McPhersons and Henry. Okay. All getting ready to fight. When the king finally gave the order to proceed, both sides launched forwards. And the action was described as... A murderous conflict maintained on both sides with inconceivable fury. Okay. Which I think yeah. means they were giving it the beans. I think that's fair. Giving it the beans. I Hammer like and tongs, they were they, they wanted a bit of it. At first the two sides appeared equally matched, but then a first Davidson fell. And then uh, another. And no, then another. Okay, fine. Until there was a clear numerical advantage on the McPherson side. The depleted Davidsons probably noticed, with a grim sense of irony, that it was the late replacement, Henry Wind, who was doing most of the damage. Henry Wind is such an un-Scottish name, isn't it? I'm not even sure he was Scottish. He was just a, a journey of blacksmith <laughs> who made swords. He was just hanging around, yeah. just happened to be there at the wrong time. Well, he, he was basically a one-man wrecking crew. He was slicing through limbs with ease, just, okay. you know... And they probably reflected on the fact that if they'd just agreed to the 29 versus 29 battle and Henry hadn't become involved, they'd be doing a lot better at this stage. Yeah. As it was, Henry Wind kept swinging as only a blacksmith can do. And within half an hour, there were only a handful of Davidsons left standing. They were facing around 18 McPhersons and one very sweaty blacksmith. (laughs) And things were not looking good. Okay. (laughs) Because Henry probably said something at that point like, oh! I'm finally warmed up. (laughs) Let's go, lads. When's the real fight start? (laughs) The outcome by this time was pretty inevitable. And after another charge, the McPhersons managed to kill all but one of the remaining Davidsons. So there was one poor bugger stood there. (laughs) Can you imagine? You'd be like, no. Okay, guys, (laughs) let's talk about this. Well, this lone representative of his clan... Even though he's outnumbered 19 to 1, he knew that by the terms of the deal between the chiefs, there would be no mercy. 
God. So he resigned himself to his fate, defiantly raised his weapon, and he was ready to die with honour. Okay. Then he spotted a gap in the arena wall behind him, rethought his decision, chucked his sword at the advancing McPhersons, slipped through the gap, threw himself into the River Tay, and swam to the other side, where he continued running until he was just a cloud of dust on the horizon. I mean, that's quick thinking, and go, yeah. Yeah, that... Flight of... <laughs> That, like that is fight. what I would do in that situation. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I'm not small enough, I don't think, to fit through small gaps. <laughs> I don't think he's coming back. <laughs> he's just gone for a wee. Just give him a minute, guys. <laughs> what would happen if you like were in mid-battle and you just really needed the loo? I'm pretty sure that at the start of the battle, if I was in a battle and I was in you know one of those front lines where the serfs were, where it's basically... Cannon fodder! Mm. Forward! I would be very empty, both bladder and bowel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there'd be poo running down your leg. Yeah. I, th- I, I don't think that that would be an issue for me at that point. Okay, that's fair. It was all a bit embarrassing, and the king did offer the Davidsons an opportunity to sub in a replacement, just as mm-hmm. he had with the McPhersons earlier, because he was nothing if not fair. Yeah. But, you know, amazingly... The Davidsons couldn't find anyone to take him up on the offer. Not even a blacksmith. They could find nobody who wanted to jump in to a 19-to-1 battle to represent I mean, the honour of Clan Davidson. No, I wouldn't either. As a result, the victory was given to the McPhersons, who were granted the honour of always having first refusal of the right flank in all future Clan Chatton battles. Okay. As well as some choice land and livestock, which, you know, quite handy. Hmm. Yeah, important. There was no Tesco at that point. Mm. True to the, his word, the Davidsons were also granted pardons for the entire clan, except presumably for the guy who was still running away at full speed, and mm-hmm. had probably made it most of the way to Dundee by this point. Yeah. Ready to start a life as a sailor. Fundy. As far away as possible from Scotland. <laughs> Henry Wind had done so well. Uh, that he hadn't even received a scratch. He was said to be completely untouched. So like a superhero, one-man band kind of thing. Yeah. And impressed by his skills, he was not only paid in full, in gold, he was invited by the now fully reconciled Clan Chatton to become Mm. an honorary member. Ah, welcome, welcome. Mm. And seeing that his skills would be in high demand based on the amount of feuding going on in the Highlands, Henry Mm. accepted. Even after they gave him the nickname... Gal Crom. Okay, what does that mean? Crooked Smith. <laughs> oh no, hold on, I thought Cameron meant crooked. Crooked nose. Oh, okay, fine. And he got Gal Crom, meaning Crooked Smith. He began teaching the art of sword making to interested members of the Macintosh clan, eventually taking the surname Gal from Gal Crom as a badge of honour, with his family becoming a sept or a lesser branch of the Macintosh clan, which it remains to this day. So there is I've now got a, a friend clan called Gao. Okay, well, your friend Gao. Mm. It, it may be that his great 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 grandfather was Henry Wind, the there we go blacksmith, the battle royale expert. I shall text James tomorrow and let him know. This event was the only known example of a clan feud being ended in this way, and although many of the other decisions that King Robert III made during his rule didn't work out. Because, I mean, when you say you're your own harshest critic, Mm. he referred to himself. These are his own words about himself Mm -hmm. as a king. The worst of kings 
and the most miserable of men. Okay. That's King Robert's self-assessment. He needs counselling. He has trauma. He had enemies everywhere. And a lot of responsibility as well. Yeah, yeah. But his intervention did allow the Confederation of Clan Chatton to get back to doing what it did best. Beating ten bales of shit out of Clan Cameron. (laughs) He'd had a little respite for 26 years, you know. Yeah, just chilling. The feud was reignited in full force... And in 1429, it was effectively ended when a group containing both Clan Davidson and Clan McPherson members, I assume that the Clan McPhersons were on the right flank Mm. of this particular small group, they attacked the Camerons while they were worshipping in church on Palm Sunday. Okay, that's forbidden, is it not? Is that not... Well, history... Sacred (laughs) land. History remembers it as the um, Palm Sunday Massacre. Okay. Rather than the Palm Sunday Battle. Okay. Taken completely by surprise, almost every Cameron male was cut down in one fell swoop. Mm. And they later justified the act by saying that the Camerons had basically asked for it by undertaking a cattle raid a few weeks earlier, or a spree, <laughs> as it's also known. It sounds. It all sounds very tit for tat, like a gang. Do you know what I mean? Like my gang. Like you did this to my gang, so I'm going to do this to your gang. I know, and it was tit and for so tat. And so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. I think after 300 years, they were like, we need to end this now, because you couldn't really say tit for tat, you stole Daisy, my cow, so I'm going to murder all of the firstborn sons of your entire extended family. Mm. The thing is, uh, yeah, they just upped, I mean, they upped it quite a lot, but, but um, yeah, they could have just stole two cows back. Yeah. No, this ends now. Yeah. All of you outside, you're going to get claymored. Mm. That happened in the the Glencoe massacre as well. I I have a few. I've been reading up on the Glencoe massacre. Mm, that was just yeah. basically they picked that one the, of the Highland yeah. clans to make an example of, wasn't it? Exactly, and and uh, a clan that were a bit they had a bit of a reputation as well, so they were like, right, just get rid of them. It's like now we can get rid of them because it sends Everyone. a message, and also no one cares that much about them. <laughs> Yeah, they've they've been bastards too long. They've all the goodwill of the other Highland clans has kind of dissipated now. Get them gone. There's actually a really interesting podcast. Uh, Susanna Lipscomb does a podcast uh, called Not Just the Tudors, and um, it is yeah. So that's that's why I know about it. She did an interview with some guy that wrote a book on it. And, uh, yeah, very interesting. Hmm. This is the second alternative podcast that you've, uh, you know... Promoted. Na- yeah, promo- essentially promoted on, on this episode. Should but I be I... worried? Are you, getting, are you getting royalties for this? I now work for the BBC. Oh, good. This is the BBC. No. My... I tell everyone about our little episodes and everyone loves it. <laughs> but my cost is that I'm also going to tell everyone about other people's little episodes. No, do you know what? It's good to share... It's good to share. If if I was speaking to Susanna Lipscomb now, I would be telling her to tune in immediately so, to Consistently Essential. Yes. Well, do you know what? I'm going to listen to it now. What's it called? Is it, It's not just called Susanna Lipscomb. No, it's called Not Just the Tudors. Not Just the Tudors. I will listen. It's and the podcast. Yeah, but there's they do all different things. So, so obviously she's uh, a Tudor historian mainly, but it's... But it's not yeah. just the Tudors. It's not just the Tudors. She'll cover other things. You see. Maybe yeah. the Stuarts. They're in there. They're yeah. definitely in there. Yeah. Well, they're interesting people. They are. And an underrated uh, portion of history, mm. I would say. Um, a lot uh, goes on. A lot does go on. And you can read an article that I wrote. <laughs> 
about this on the History Corner. Mm. Dot org. There you go. Oh, you're on fire. I'm on fire with the promos. Mm. Are you just going to start? It's when you start plugging like Pepsi or something. <laughs> I'll be worried. <laughs> take it to the max. Pepsi I'll max. be like, hmm, sorry, Joe. Let me just take a sip of my Kool-Aid. <laughs> the clan system would remain in place in Scotland for another 300 years before the Battle of Culloden and the Act of Prescription transferred all of the lands held by clans to the English crown. The Act also made it illegal to play the bagpipes, wear clan tartan, or speak Gaelic. But that's, that's probably like... a story we need to cover on another day. Yeah, that's not culture washing at all, is it? No, no. But, I mean, this is the thing. We, we say that we didn't um, ever conquer Scotland. Because, you know, it was a joining of the crowns that kind of brought it together. But culturally, we definitely suppressed Scotland. Mm. Just made it impossible for them to not be English Mm. in some form or another. Well, that's pretty much the English way. We're going to give you independence. Mm. You're part of us now. British independence. Come on. Mm. Yeah. Our system is the system you want. Mm. You just don't know it yet. (laughs) That's how we roll. So there you go. That is the story of what was possibly the first battle royale in Britain. Do you know, it's so interesting, and I like it that you brought it to Scotland because obviously I live here and I I know these places. So I like a visual in my head, and I got that. Well, I started out, it was... um, The the battle royale that I first originally found was between um, Bretons and English um, okay. as part of one of the many wars we had with the French. Uh, and it referenced this particular battle royale. And this was not only earlier, but also far more interesting than the one that okay. I'd originally set out to to, um, to look into. Because the, the one between the English and the French, uh, the English lost and then complained because they said one of the French had rode in on a horse and that no one had said you could use, use horses and that was cheating. <laughs> They're not playing fair. <laughs> we said we said no animals. We'd have brought <laughs> our dogs. It. Exactly. We'd exactly. have released the corgis if we'd known, but you didn't no. say that. Exactly. The only thing about the Anglo-French one that I like more is that they literally broke uh, halfway through for refreshments. <laughs> Get the pims. Yeah, while you know, like lots the of men sandwiches. were dead in the middle of this makeshift arena. They went, no, no, no. We did say after after thirty five minutes we'd we'd have a drink, didn't we? Oh, I'm bloody exhausted. I am. <laughs> Get the refreshments immediately. Just shouting across. Oh, hey, Francois, I see. I see your arms off. <laughs> Would you like me to hold it to your mouth? I, I'm gonna find you. I'm gonna find it and slap you with the wet bit. What I'm gonna do? <laughs> hey, what jolly good fun! And in that one, um, not everyone died as well. So th- they surrendered. After a certain amount of time, I think it was like there was a time limit to it. Like, right, yeah. who they counted up and they're like, right, the French win, and then they just executed all the English guys. It's like, well, wouldn't you have just continued fighting rather than going? Yeah. No, 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 that's that's time. Right. <laughs> it must be bloody exhausting, like face to face combat. Oh God, yeah. Yeah, it would be. I well, would look, be exhausted. Look, look now at boxing mm. and how knackered yeah, they look yeah, after yeah. three or four rounds. Yeah, and they're wearing shorts. And they're just swinging their fists. Yeah. Imagine if you were wearing full sort of, you know, I mean, I know me and you would never get chainmail, but like, you know, you've got your wadding in your leather armour 
yeah. and you've got your helmet and you're holding like a stave or a, a halberd or something and you're swinging that and you've not been you know sort of relaxing and doing all the stuff beforehand you've marched 50 miles over two days to get to the battlefield so I you're already su- knackered yeah i can imagine like these these this face-to-face combat is actually quite clumsy mm. because i can imagine if things are like weighing you down and like if it's muddy, you might just slip over. I, it's probably not as... It's probably like Glastonbury Festival with armour. Yeah. Well, a lot of um, a lot of battles where mud was involved, it was, it, it was used as a tactic. It was like, make them march through the bit where they're going to fall over. <laughs> she fell over. There was... Uh, what was it? I was reading one about... Um, it was Scotland and England again, but the Scottish set up at the end of a causeway. And it was like there was a narrow causeway through this mud. Mm. And the English tried to advance in a big line because there were way more of them. And everyone who was marching that wasn't on the causeway just got stuck in the mud and couldn't advance. (laughs) And the Scottish managed to hold off this massive English army just because the English could only attack about four at a time because it was the only ground you could run at. Yeah. Yeah. I I can imagine. Yeah, I can imagine it's like quite clumsy. It's not as glamorous as they portray on like television and films and uh, where everyone's on their feet constantly. Like I can oh. imagine your mate just falls over. <laughs> like, Oi, Frank, get up, get up, get up, Frank. <laughs> there's lots of them where it's like, oh, and people were sort of like having to abandon their weapons and they still march forward because th- there was the weight of things behind them. Hmm. So they dropped the weapon and then... Because there were people advancing behind you, you were being forced towards the enemy. Yeah. With with no weapons. With no weapons. So you just no, sort of ah. It doesn't sound glamorous. I'm glad the only battle royales that kind of happen now is WWF or WE wrestling, whatever well, it's called now. I wonder if this is why it's a thirty man battle royale because it was thirty know? versus thirty. That's interesting. Mm. Yeah, maybe maybe there's a bit of like historical content to some overgrown men wearing lycra and like resting each other hi there it's emma chief organizer at consistently eccentric here to remind you all that if you like what you hear you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on acast spotify and itunes how fancy you can also join us on instagram at consistently eccentric podcast where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot see you next week